0: You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. In connection with Lord's Day 51, let us open the word of our God together. We turn to the gospel according to Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 to 35. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord... How many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him ten thousand talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. And the master called the servant in, you wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you, unless you forgive your brother from your heart. This far, the reading of God's holy word. Let's also read together Lord's Day 51 of the Heidelberg Catechism. What is the fifth petition, and forgive us our debts? As we also have forgiven our debtors, that is, for the sake of Christ's blood, do not impute to us wretched sinners any of our transgressions nor the evil which still clings to us. As we also find this evidence of thy grace in us, that we are fully determined wholeheartedly to forgive our neighbor. Beloved congregation of our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ, quiet, Pay attention and listen. For remember that here the Lord Jesus Christ is teaching his disciples and us how we are to pray. Last Sunday he taught us the opening petition of this second part. And he told us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. This Sunday he is teaching us the opening or the second petition of the second part And he is saying to us, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. So today he is teaching us about forgiveness. But what kind of forgiveness is this? Some might be tempted to conclude that from the use of the word debts, that here he is speaking about forgiving or canceling financial debts. In other words, that he's speaking about money and about economic matters. However, such a conclusion would be wrong for when our Savior is speaking here about debts, he means, of course, moral debts. He means sins. He's referring to the kind of life that we should live in this world, both with our God and with our neighbor, but the kind of life that we so often fail to live. As people, we are moral debtors. Yes, and now the Lord Jesus Christ says that we need to pray about this particular matter to the Father. We need to bring it before His throne. Specifically, we need to ask Him to forgive us these debts. Now, what does that tell you? What is the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ makes this the second concern of your life tell you? If the first concern when it comes to our needs is bread and the the second need is forgiveness, what message does that send? Well, obviously this means that this is something that's very, very important. This is one, you might say, one of life's basic necessities. This is a great need. This is something that has a direct bearing on the very nature and character of our lives. And indeed it does. Look at the larger picture that the Bible paints. And now imagine a world over which our most holy God rules and in which there is no forgiveness. Imagine a world in which our sins pile up and up and up and in which there is no resolution or removal of them. Well, that would build a huge and insurmountable barrier between us and the Lord. The Great Wall of China or what was formerly called the Berlin Wall or the current wall between Israel and Palestine would not at all compare to the Wall of Sin. It would cut us off from God and all access to Him. And in addition, imagine a world in which people practice no forgiveness whatsoever with respect to one another. Life is already tough enough, and then to think of living among people who never forgive, always hold grudges, are forever looking for an opportunity to get revenge. What a life that would be. So beloved, it doesn't take much to realize that forgiveness is an indispensable and necessary quality. You can say that just like we cannot live without bread, so we cannot live without forgiveness either. We need both to survive, to exist, and to flourish. Yes, and now perhaps you begin to see just how wise and wonderful it is that the Lord Jesus here teaches us to pray to God for this forgiveness. This is one of the great privileges of faith that we can take all of our dirty deeds, we can lay them before God and we can ask him to do the impossible with them and that is forgive them. And that applies to all of them, not just to some of them. Sometimes we divide our sins into two categories, the minor and the major, the treatable and the non-treatable, the salvageable and the non-salvageable. And then we assume that God really only deals with the minor and the treatable and the salvageable and don't bother Him with the really gross stuff because He'll turn you down. Not so, beloved. There is no sin so great or heinous that God cannot forgive it. And he never says to us, now you are asking for or demanding too much from me. No, he points us to the death of his son and he reminds us that this was an awful death for a reason. It was awful to match the awfulness of our sins. It was disgusting because so many of our sins are disgusting. It was cursed because our sins would curse us if not done away with. God's forgiveness knows no limitations or restrictions. And it has no statute of limitations either. We may go to him with everything every day. And indeed, here the Lord Jesus Christ urges us and teaches us to do so. This is how you have to pray. Our Father, forgive us our debts. And he will. He will, as the Catechism puts it, if we ask for the sake of Christ's blood. After all, he is, as John tells us, the atoning sacrifice for all of our sins. Ask the Father in his name. And ask the Father on the basis of the sacrifice of his Son, Jesus Christ, and he will atone. Ask in faith. And the Father will hear you and forgive you. And isn't that what the parable we read a moment ago teaches us so clearly? Who else is the king but God the Father? And what does God say or what does the king say to the servant? I canceled all this debt of yours because you begged me to. Simply for the asking, he wiped out this huge, humongous debt. Why, it's almost too good to be true, right? It's almost. And that's one reason why Christ not only taught us this prayer, beloved, but also instituted this supper. For you see, every time the Lord's Supper is held, the miracle of our forgiveness in Jesus Christ is being driven home to us. Every celebration is saying to us, you are a forgiven people. Every bite of this bread, every swallow of this wine is is God's way of saying to us that by his death, he has removed the cause of our eternal hunger and misery, which is sin, and obtained for us the life-giving spirit. Truly we are. A forgiven, redeemed, restored people. Yes, that's what we are. And now that's also, beloved, in turn, what we must be. For the petition goes on. Christ also teaches us as we have also forgiven our debtors. And that's our Lord's way of saying that this most wonderful forgiveness that we have in Christ from God the Father is not just something to rejoice in. It's also something to apply and to exercise with respect to others. We're not allowed to hoard it or privatize it. No, we must let the wonder of this forgiveness flow through to others, Yes, and that's something that the debtor in this parable failed to do. He didn't see that God's mercy to him should have any effect whatsoever on his mercy to others. He didn't realize that the way that God had treated him was now the template for how he should treat others. He who was forgiven much learned nothing at all. And the result was that he forgave not at all. And are we like that? Do we too practice this kind of a, a double standard for surely that's the point of the parable. It's to wake us up. It's to get us to examine our lives and our actions and to ensure that, that what we do and how we live conforms to the will of God. So does it. Do we forgive others their debts to us because God has forgiven our debts to Him? Are we so thankful for the forgiveness that we have received that we want to share it with others? Do we see ourselves as a forgiven people? And do we desire to bring others into our company by being forgiving to them? Is that how we live? Is that how we act? And now having said that, let me also say immediately something else, and that is that this can be hard, really hard to do. I sometimes think it may be easier to ask God to forgive than to ask someone who has done terrible things to you to say, I forgive you. Sometimes people do such awful, disgusting, revolting things to one another. And then it's not so easy to forgive, is it? And yet, beloved, we're not without resources in this regard. For one, there is something in this petition that we often overlook, but which the catechism, as it were, draws out when it says... As we also find this evidence of thy grace in us. Notice the catechism doesn't say immediately, and now you must forgive your neighbor. In other words, no, it speaks beloved first of all of grace. Of God's grace. In other words, before you can forgive others what they have done to you, you need grace. You need to pray for the grace to forgive. You need to ask the Father to grant you this ability and this attitude. Do not think you can do it in your own strength. No, ask God to help you in this humanly speaking impossible thing. Ask him for grace. That's the first resource. And the second resource, beloved, well, is this supper. Well, what does it do? It drives you to consider what Christ has done for you and how the Father now looks at you. It brings you into that wonderful, indescribable realm of God's salvation. And it causes the Holy Spirit to work in you and to give you that, that daily increase in true faith and fellowship with Christ. You see, through so the tokens of bread and wine, And to the power of the Holy Spirit, the impossible becomes possible. Forgiveness can be extended to others. And so you can say forgiveness and the Lord's Supper, they really do belong together. At this most wonderful meal, we are nothing less than partakers of the new and everlasting testament, the covenant of grace. And you know, as partakers, we shouldn't doubt and we shouldn't withhold. Doubt what? Well, we shouldn't doubt that God will forever be our gracious Father and that he will never more impute our sins to us. And withhold what? Well, we shouldn't withhold the determination wholeheartedly to forgive our neighbor We really are God's forgiven people. Let's celebrate it and let's practice it. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.